cas pour résumer ce qu'il faut So our first um, podcast, Max, was was about um, the idea was was about because both me and Max are toxicologists, basically, and it's not something we. I, I don't think it's something we we take um, we we take lightly because because I had this feeling all through my scientific career. Oh, you're only a toxicologist, and also we're not we're not we're new age toxicologists. We're not old age toxicologists. So old age, not, nothing against those people either. Don't get me wrong. But it was more uh, histopathology in, in you know, 20, 30 years ago. So both me and Max are more molecular toxicologists. So it's more about looking how chemicals interact with cells rather than whole uh, organisms or tissues. Um, um, and at the moment, that's a very interesting part of science because we have a huge gap of what happens on a cellular level rather than on a, a, um, an organ level because that's, that's been done quite well. But we know that organs don't destroy themselves. It's the cells that do it. Our cells get, get, get injured and they cause the issues that eventually make the organs uh, uh, function poorly or, or, or become disease states. So the, the topic we had to discuss the first time was, what if we just spin it, that, that actually toxicology, instead of being an outside science, is actually a core science of biology? That's a fundamental uh, biological uh, resource, and that most of the big discoveries were actually discovered because of um, perturbing a certain pathway, which is the definition of toxicology. I I gave some thinking to that, so yeah, we'll get back to the more uh, deep source uh, later, I guess. But uh, the idea is that. In general, uh, studying something which is functioning is pretty challenging. And it's in general mainly by the disease that you get some understanding of uh, how it works. It's because yeah, it dysfunctions. Exactly. It's, it's it, yeah. yeah, it's blind to you when it works because you, you, you yeah. just see it's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So then you have difficulty to understand what does what as long as everything works. And it's only when something is no longer functioning that you get uh, a possibility of understanding why it's no longer functioning the way it used to. And what's your What's your personal interpretation of the word toxicology? What, what do you think it means? Yeah, right now I'm teaching it. So I started my teaching by giving kind of uh, historical uh, definition of it. And uh, what's the I historical like this, definition? Uh, the, the origin of the term toxicon. And uh, toxicon used to be the kind of uh, the poison that was used to cover the arrows, the uh, top of the arrows that were used to maybe to hunt, I guess, or sometime in war time, long time ago. And basically some cultures, I don't necessarily know which antique, uh, probably Greek or somewhere in that area, uh, were using that uh, on their arrows uh, making them more deadly than simply arrows uh, that were not covered with poison. And what does tox itself then mean? 
No, no, this toxicon, to toxicon is from the Greek term. The term toxicon comes from that. It basically means uh, the, how do you call the, uh, the part of the, yeah, it's basically the arrow tip. So that's what toxicon means uh, in Greek. And it comes oh, from it means that. means an arrow. Yeah. No, but not, not only an arrow, that's an arrow which is covered with poison. And that's oh, yeah, why okay. associations yeah. start from that. Because okay. I used to know, uh, make some advertisement for my own talks, uh, course and things like that, uh, by telling people that, uh, okay, toxicology started as the science of poisons, but then it evolved and moved uh, to a different area, which was- then just uh, in, in, that, in that line of thinking, um, uh, mm -hmm. it made the arrows more, uh, more potent or more effective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, uh, yeah, you still have some uh, primitive culture which are using that uh, basically to get monkeys and they use uh, cura uh, poison arrows. Uh, it's not arrows in that case, it's more uh, wood stick. And they still use that. And the same is true with uh, the sarbacan. Uh, yeah. They also use something similar than that in primitive I heard culture. It, but I heard in the Amazon tribes, uh, or, or maybe maybe I'm uh, being wrong there, but in, in some indigenous populations still that are, that it haven't been, uh, you know, well, yeah, that's what we call primitive. Yeah, yeah, uh, that they 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 put their arrows on the back of of amphibians like like frogs and stuff like that, and yeah. and and that's for the poisons are secreted. Yeah, yeah, uh, to, so that that cats don't eat them. Yeah. And uh, and then they yeah and then they use it to hunt uh, uh, not no longer men but but animals other animals yeah, yeah. there there is still some uh, Amazonians doing that primitive culture in Amazonia of course yeah, that's what I said very few that's what I said, I, that's yeah. what I said I thought it was in Amazon um, so not the girls yeah, which are cutting one part of their breast and uh, getting on horse because these ones are called Amazon as well really <laughs> what's that about <laughs> In, 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 the, the, they cut their breasts and they get a horse. Yeah, uh, so the reason the, the Amazon you, you use Amazonian uh, for two kind of uh, different kind of population. Uh, Amazonian are people living in the Amazon forest uh, in South America, and you also have the Amazons, which uh, used to be uh, female warriors. And these ah. female warriors were very efficient and uh, to be able to shoot arrows without uh, being, uh, yeah. Uh, inhibited. Having, yeah, inhibited yeah. by their breasts. They were apparently cutting, uh, I think that's a legend probably, but they were cutting one uh, one of their breasts, one of their teeth somehow. Is that, is that, is that, that's probably what inspired the Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, new, yeah, new, yeah. Videos. Wonder Woman is uh, said to be one of these Amazon girl, but I think she's also from another planet. <laughs> I see. Well, let, let, let's bring it back to the, I, mean, I could go on in this because uh, apparently all of that came from Celtic culture originally, but uh, <laughs> Irish, actually Irish Celtic culture. Uh, so I, I think it wasn't until about the 1500s, you know, in, um, you know, uh, you know, after uh, after Christ, that um, it was probably Paracelsus who was the god of, or the godfather, not sorry, not god, but godfather of of toxicology. He, he made it a, a real true science, and his statement. Um, um, I'd, I'd rather have it exactly in front of me, to be honest. But, uh, German? In, in German, yeah. Uh, well, so was it, it Swiss German or was it 
Yeah, he was from he he was he was from Switzerland, a place, a very funny naming place. Um, I had it on one of my slides. Um, Where is it? Oh, Egg. He's from Egg in Switzerland. And he said, um, if I can, I'd rather have it exactly. But basically, Aladdin's in gift and uh, need this on a gift. So so everything is poisonous and nothing is is well poison and and just. And then his next line was, uh, "The only the dose makes the poison." And I also teach, uh, you know, Max, and uh, it, you have to instill this in the students that everything is poisonous. Uh, water, it's. And I'm not talking about drowning. I'm talking if you drink too much water, you can have brain edema if you don't uh, if you don't relieve yourself, if you don't urinate. There was a there was a, uh, a radio. Uh, show in i believe it was in australia where they had this thing which you know these morning shows it was it was funny but they had this uh, repetitive thing that that you could you drink as much water without going be and if you if you if you won the competition eventually you would win a you know a holiday or something something substantial and one of the contestants died she died of a brain edema and uh, so even water itself no, nothing is innoxious and to non-toxicologies, it's simply that anything you put in a in, in the environment of a cell that makes it enable to do cellular homeostasis, that means uh, making everything normal within its own environment or within these parameters, uh, will kill it. And uh, and and our body is a very uh, I mean it's amazing that that multi-organism systems are alive at all. But very complicated ones like the human being or mammals. I mean, we're not that much more complicated than a mouse. But it's it's amazing they exist at all, because you have about two hundred different cells uh, working together uh, to to do all of that, to, to to give you the feeling of hunger, to give you the feeling of thirst, to know when you need to pee, to know when you need to poop, to give you a sexual drive. And then the lucky thing with humans is communication and to be able to tell stories, and that's what basically the definition of culture is. Um, well, Max, back to you. I, 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 I eventually wanted to talk about specific compounds, but I like the way this has gone. Yeah. Uh, so back to this definition. So etymologically speaking, uh, Zen toxicology is somehow the science of poison. And from that it evolved uh i guess poisons were pretty popular uh in early days antiques and then it gets uh, more refined over the time i think uh at least for the french part it becomes a serious issue around the middle age uh where there was so many cases of poisoning that the the court was having issue with it and then the court needed to have some kind of substance to be classified as poisons, so that if you get trapped with it, uh, you can be put in jail directly without having to use it. So, how did they? How did they identify what they were? They didn't have the chemical. Uh... No, I, already from the antiques, a lot of things were known as poisons, and uh, alchemists were very familiar with all these things. Uh, things like sigu. I don't know what, what the English term for that is, uh, but this is an Egyptian poison already known. And a lot of people have been poisoned uh, even in the early days. Yeah, pharaohs and things like that. Uh, a lot of From kids. assassins. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, if you were caught with it, how would they know what it was you had in a bottle? No, but the problem is that at that time it was uh, having absolutely no value to be caught with it because uh, nobody uh, can blame you for that. There was no legislation of any kind. So at least from what I read, uh, for the French part, it was around the Middle East that then they started considering that if you get caught with something which uh, would be classified as a poison, but then to do so, you would need to list these poisons. And that's where they started to consider it as a kind of uh, already a more elaborated science because before that it was more alchemist uh, people, just people having a book that were giving from one another end by end. And uh, there was also very uh, famous uh, person which were known to be uh, specialized in poisons. Those people that you would visit and they would sell you poisons to kill your husband and things like that. So, but, but isn't it wasn't it basically just a an adaption from early pharmacology? I mean, I know that the word alchemy has uh, sounds bad in modern day culture, but alchemy was the the yeah. origins of chemistry. I mean, these guys were very clever. I mean, because they didn't have the tools we have today, so they they did very proper kind of ex rudimentary experiments, yeah. um, and they knew that that you know. Um, if you took, I mean, one of the oldest pharmacological agents that I know of is the um, uh, the predecessor of aspirin, the salicylic acid, but the but even the, the version before that that came from Willebark. And they would boil that and, and give it to people. And uh, it really did, I mean, help them um, if they were wounded or if they had inflammation. Um, but yeah, what I wanted to suggest was even then, even back then, wasn't poison coming out of of a way to try and heal so it was more of a, a, a overdone pharmacology maybe do, do you remember exactly the story around paracelsius uh his famous quote uh i think the context of it uh was already to address some uh disease uh i struggled to remember exactly which one but uh i think if i'm Remembering correctly, he was trying to address some kind of uh, uh, worker disease, uh, which was claimed to be treated be with one specific compound. And uh, there was some discussion around it, whether it was beneficial or whether it was detrimental to use that. And based on that, he came up with that. So it was already pharmacology. Well, if you mean uh, the worker's disease, because uh, syphilis was ripe, ripe at the time. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And that you know that also is a worker's disease. Yeah, depends what kind of worker. Simply, yeah. Enough. And I'm just, I just I'm just looking at the wiki entry now, and they, they were uh, they, they used this guanic wood, and uh, and yeah, I don't know. You can look at the wiki page, but uh, uh, but like I guess people were trying to cure stuff. Oh, there's something yeah. about Tyrol there. Where is it? Oh, in Hal. So I'm just, I'm just reading the Wikipedia page. So uh, Paracelsus prepared this paragram, his main work on medical physiology, completed 1530. He moved to St. Gall. He then completed his opius primus in uh, 1832, where he did in... From St. Gall, he moved to the blah, 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 blah. Uh, he also visited mines in Schwarz. And oh, yeah. How that, all... That's why I remember workers. It was related to mines. Uh, the miners' disease, yeah. And it, yeah. just it's just a, a personal uh, interest for me because I, I used to live in Innsbruck, which is only a, a few kilometers from Schwarz. Oh, he actually he didn't even move to Innsbruck, where he once again uh, was barred from practicing. Uh, yeah. 
So, yeah, so I, I, the guy walked in the same soil I walked on. I wonder if he ever a Bugatti. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, yeah, so Paracelsus kind of, kind of made it a, a, a kind of a bit more concrete science. Um, do, do you know the story of Hahnemann? So I don't I don't know when Hahnemann lived. I think it wasn't that long ago. Um, I'm just going to look him up now. Uh, so he, he was the he invented uh, homeopathy. But, yeah, no, but he wasn't a charlatan. He 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 he. No, 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 really, he wasn't. Yeah. So so what the, the doctors at the time. No, but no, I remember who it is because I I've seen a few uh, documentary on homeopathy and this principle yeah. of Hahnemann. Yeah, but it's it's not that he he, he wasn't he was a, he was a he was a proper scientist. He just was, I would say, slightly ignorant uh, to what we know now. But of course, that's that's science. Um, you you only know what you know now. You don't you can't know what you know in the future. And he 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 um, basically started uh, lowering the doses of compounds. Um, uh, the idea was that whatever kills you should make you better. Yeah. So if you have uh, if you've been poisoned by this poison, or if you're bitten by a bee, then the bee sting should make you better, that kind of stuff. And he he started to lower the concentrations that he was giving or the doses uh, to what we know now is actually no dose, it's zero. And they got better. Um, and, and it was simply because the wounds were being treated and treated with water and they're being looked after and they weren't being given the nasty drugs that the doctors were giving at the time, completely unregulated medicine. And most of those things were just proper toxins um, because nobody, they would just give the same thing. So one doctor would just give the same thing to all his patients because he believed in that thing. You know? And it would yeah. work for some of his patients, but not for all of his patients. Um, and, and yeah, so Hahnemann, the, who invented um, uh, basically homeopathy, was unaware of the dilution limit. Yeah, to, so to, some, to some degrees, he... Of course, I'm not a believer in homeopathy, but uh, the general concept around it that uh, smaller dose can make you stronger is uh, what is behind things like virulization, uh, which is the predecessor of vaccination. You yeah, but would, just, uh, just, just, just to clarify to our audience, Max, uh, oh, yeah. first of all, the principle was stupid that the thing that will kill you would make you better. No, uh, uh, it depends what. Well, I want to get back uh, to that, actually, because yeah. uh, uh, it's a thing called uh, hormosis, actually. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of that term. But yeah. but uh, but basically, Hahnemann wasn't a charlatan. And if we had explained it to him today, he would have said, oh, yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. So yeah. just just to be oh, yeah. clear to our yeah. audience, yeah. homeopathy is complete bullshit. <laughs> Water does not have a memory. Yeah. I mean, it's just nonsense. <laughs> it's absolute pure nonsense. OK, Max. So uh, hormosis, you know anything about that? No, not hormosis. No, but so hormosis is this idea that a little bit of poison is good for you. Yeah, okay. Because it's just, when you bring it back to immunology uh, and the idea that you would somehow acquire some, uh, you would train your uh, immune system by um, giving it challenge. And this is now what we are currently uh, facing with the COVID and these quest well, why, for vaccination. Why, why, why is not, yeah, but why is that not the same with, with, with cells? I mean, the immune cells are just immune cells. Why is it not the same with non-immune cells? Oh, yeah, you can, yeah, why not? 
But uh, because you, you know, you know, you know that arsenic was used for centuries as a tonic. Yeah. yeah. And it, it made people's uh, um, um, uh, blushed their their yeah. uh, um, made them vasodilated in their faces and stuff like that. So there's a concept that that a little bit of toxin is good for you, yeah. uh, as long as it doesn't go over the threshold. Yeah. Yeah, the, the saying that everything that does not kill you makes you stronger is still very well used in France. Yeah, but that's just a bullshit phrase, right? Yeah, it it also relates to the immune system, I guess, because uh, a lot of the yeah, I think it's more. Which, I think it's more. Yeah, it's, yes. it's the more survivor from a specific disease, in particular contagious disease, uh, the survivor were immune. Uh, yeah. And and I guess that supports this idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger uh, in the sense that it makes you immune. And yeah. this idea of variolization, uh, yeah, variol was making a lot of dead, uh, in particular in the Middle Age. And at that time, investing into a child, uh, knowing that his chance of uh, making it through the next viral episode was were very limited, uh, makes it that the beneficial um, risk balance uh, was good to the idea that maybe if you administrated voluntarily uh, the variol disease, maybe if he makes it, then that's worth giving him some education and some time and some food, which was precious at that time. Yeah, so, that's true. I mean, you have to remember that after the agricultural revolution, yeah. uh, despite what we think, people were absolutely malnutrition because yeah. they were eating only two or three foods. Yeah. yeah. And at that time, people were having a lot of child also because of uh, child deaths uh, at early age. So you needed yeah, to mortality, have... Child mortality was, exactly. just, was terrible. Yeah. 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 So you needed to have a lot of them. But the problem is that uh, you cannot really give food to every single one of them. Uh, and it's a complete waste, uh, of course, besides these. Uh, uh, yeah, I think at that time, maybe the emotional attachment to kids were not necessarily the same because people were familiar with this idea of uh, uh, yeah, infant mortality. I don't think that's true, Max. I, 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 think, I, uh, I, I think a child, that, it just, they just got used to it. They had so many deaths in the family. It was just something they got more used to because it's so infrequent now that the yeah. loss of a child is horrible. But you had to live on because you had other children. Uh, just back to this thing because you, you, you have two kids and I, I hear I hear this story that everybody who has children tells me that they're at least below the age of seven they just bring every disease into your house is yeah. it now can you imagine living with 17 kids yeah. that are malnutritioned yeah. I mean that's why pestilence was so big in the uh, in, 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 in the last few uh, centuries because they had like even my own family, like Irish Catholics were go crazy. I mean, I think my 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 granny had eight kids, and not all of them survived. Um, but before before that, even it was normal to have fourteen, fifteen kids in rural Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And they had nothing. They had no money. They didn't have enough food to eat, even, and they all lived in the same beds. And so, if you have a flu, if one has a flu, everybody gets it. Yeah. Um, and with no treatment available, then. No. And, and no medical, no yeah. medicine. Yeah. And then and then we made it worse for ourselves when we moved to cities because we were yeah. still living in those uh, very concentrated places, but with other families. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, just the diseases yeah. spreaded like hell. I mean, everybody thinks, uh, and it's a fallacy, that we live longer now than ever before. It's not true. Original man lived as long as we do now. 
but yeah, uh, you, you you mean if you would transfer someone from uh, from that time, no, he would leave the exact same time, right? No, no, no. Original man before uh, concentrations, before the agricultural revolution, uh, man was living till about eighty eighty five. I mean, I mean, sorry, I mean humans. I don't mean to yeah. say man, but, but men and women were living that long before. It was just the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution reduced our lifespan. But we were totally malnutritioned. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw uh, agricultural domains in, uh, in Austria where I, I, I'm, I'm not a tall person. I'm, I'm uh, 172, 173. And I had to stoop to get into those doors. Um, it's simply because they were absolutely malnutritioned. Um, that they were so small. And uh, before all of that, so uh, humans are around for not, not long, we're not around long, Homo sapiens, uh, about 100,000 years, maybe 200,000 years. But the original humans uh, around 150,000 years ago lived to 85, and they were tall people. Um, but we made ourselves sick with, with uh, uh, basically uh, malnutrition, which is a kind of a poison. Um, and then the Industrial Revolution, which was chemical poisonings. And, and this, actually, I wanted to come to that. Because uh, so in the 1800s, we started making, uh, the, it was the birth of synthetic ke chemistry. And, uh, and then workers, and uh, we polluted the entire local environment. And, and then, you know, these people who worked in these factories were basically slaves. And, um, and they were malnutritioned as well. So they, they couldn't even fight the toxins they were, were giving them. And then toxicology got a new birth in the 19, early 1920s by a guy called J.W. Trevin, who invented this LD50 test, where you could actually do comparative toxicology by using mice uh, or rats, but it was usually mice at the time, I think. And, uh, and you could just see what was the concentration to kill 50% of a mice with a one-time injection over two weeks. So you just inject them once and see, see how many mice would die basically in a controlled way. And that made the ability to do comparative toxicology. And then, then you could basically assume that, that, that something was killing this amount of mice should not be in the air or, or at least that people shouldn't be. And, and then over the years, you know, you develop safety things like gas masks and, or just masks or even eye goggles that the workers would be safe. And I remember as a kid myself, I know I've gone on a monologue, but uh, we had, um, I grew up in the 70s and 80s in, in, in Dublin, and it used to be just green fields. And when we moved there, they made it all these housing estates and everybody was burning coal for the first time ever in that landscape. And I remember in the winters, you couldn't see. You simply couldn't see, it was just covered in smoke. And that was in my lifetime. And then the government regulated it eventually and said, you can't burn uh, smoky coal, you can only burn smokeless coal. And now today, nobody has a fire inside anymore in, in Dublin because uh, it's too complicated and it's just use gas or, or, or electricity. Yeah, I started teaching uh, Ecotox and got interested in this smog. Uh, which is something I tend to forget. And there is... Yeah, that's what it was. It was basically smog, yeah. yeah. And there is a nice movie about it and people tend to forget because uh, I think that was probably late 50s, uh, the big smog in uh, London. And, yeah, but in, in Ireland, it was in the... It was in Dublin, it was in the 80s, early yeah. 80s, yeah. late 70s. Yeah. 
But the, the number we, of we, deaths we're, we're, was we're, quite we're, amazing. Yeah, and, and incidents of asthma and everything yeah, was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back a bit. So or, or refocus. So talk, so everything we've talked about so far is about toxicology. No, really, it, it is. Yeah. Um, but the, but the question is. Um, Toxicology, a fundamental branch of biology. So where, where, where do you feel? That's my proposal. I don't, I don't know if Max agrees with that. Yeah, no, we will definitely deviate because uh, the important question for me is, is there a need to, class, to classify different branch of science? And why is this need? Why, would, why is it or why would that be important to classify well, we the different we, branches? Yeah, but we do it inherently. So I, I know I, like, we do it because my my, my divi the division I work in that I that I that I'm currently the chair of is yeah. called uh, molecular toxicology, molecular and computational toxicology. And I think you have to. I mean, in science, you have to have a niche yeah. and work work at, at these problems from different angles. So yeah. I work it from a toxicological angle, although I'm very interested in cell biology. Um, and I I propose that title because I think by inhibiting pathways. You learn about biology. You learn. You learn more yeah. than you would do by naturally just looking at stuff. That's that's why I proposed this. Because yeah. uh, to uh, to me at least, that's pretty recent that I would kind of classify myself as toxicologist as one of the main uh, topic I am working in. Well, the, the other thing is I don't like the title. I, I, yeah. I know not of my division. I like the title yeah. of my division, but I don't like the title as myself. I don't like calling myself a toxicologist because yeah. number one, I'm not. Yeah. I'm a biologist. Um, I, I have a background in, in pharmacology and toxicology, uh, but but I'm primarily a biologist. That that's what I am. I'm not a chemist, which is an awkward uh, thing because I, I work in a chemistry department. Uh, but they, they also see it the other way around. They, they see that chemistry that cells are just bundles of, 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 of chemistry, organized chemistry. And that's what life is, just extremely well-organized chemistry. So I think, I think the melting pot of chem... So yeah, maybe, maybe the whole toxicology thing is just a, a ruse. But the idea is that, that biology is a part of chemistry and chemistry is a part of biology. Yeah. And, and toxicology is just when chemistry so, interferes with biology negatively. Yeah, because... Uh... As strange as it looks, uh, the French likes also this different kind of classification. And I know that uh, myself, which now I'm doing mainly uh, toxicology uh, in terms of research activities. And also yeah, but you also, you also, yeah, but you also no, but do uh, transfer across the blood-brain barrier. It's not just toxicology, Yeah, it's right? pharmacology, this one. Yeah. But uh, I was trained as biologist, physiologist, pathophysiologist, and the lab used to be uh, and it's still uh, a lab in pathophysiology and our niche is a blood-brain barrier. And because of that, then we entered cell modeling and we are interested in cells. But currently, anytime I have to kind of register for any things uh, which is related to my administration uh, at the state level, I cannot apply for anything related to toxicology, mostly because this toxicology part is associated to pharmacology. And this pharmacology and toxicology are part of the pharmacy school. And I'm not a pharmacist. And as such, it means that for them, I will never really be uh, considered as a toxicologist because I am not in the right track for doing so. 
Well, just so, I'm confused by that because, um, and 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 if 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 we actually release this this version, Max, um, our audience might be as well. So for me, uh, I have a very clear distinction between pharmacy and pharmacology. Yeah, so sister science. No, I don't believe they are. I mean, I mean, yeah, sister science, but they don't they don't intertwine. Uh, so yeah. if you study pharmacy, you're basically studying to be a human chemist. That you, you sit in a pharmacy to administer. You need to know all about it, but you don't need to know about the molecular interactions per se. I mean, it's yeah. it's handy, but well, listen, no, so yeah. maybe that's wrong. But but the other way around. So when I studied pharmacology, I didn't need to know anything anything about the drugs on the market, just the ones as uh, were cases. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we studied cisplatin, for example, and a few other chemicals. But I didn't need to know all of the plants and all of the phylogenology of all of that because I wasn't going to be. So if you study, and don't get me wrong, pharmacy is a very, very tough thing to study because you need to know all of those compounds. You need to be very chemically minded. And, uh, and it's, it's a very, um, I, mean, it's, I mean, I know, I know people joke that you're just selling lipstick, but it, it's, it's a very tough job because if, if you're the, pharma, the pharmacy person responsible, on a, on a shift or or even for a pharmacy you, you have everybody coming in you're you're the last line of defense for the doctor messing up you know and they mess up quite often uh, oh no oh god you shouldn't be taking that with that for example yeah. so but i don't i don't think pharmacy pharmacy is a branch of research science I, that yeah I, maybe, that's where i do not fully agree because uh, there is some kind of a distinction within the pharmacy track in France. Uh, I think after their fourth year, uh, when they enter the fifth year, then they have to uh, make a choice. And this choice is to select between two branches. One branch is uh, the one which go in office in. Office in is the one which are selling the drug in the pharma, uh, in the pharma store. And the other branch is the industry uh, branch. And of course, the industry branch is much more close to what uh, academic lab look for. Uh, then they look for mechanistics, they look for targets, and uh, oh, you, oh, sorry. So you mean that? So, so, let's see. This is, or I'm ignorant because I never, I never, um, I never trained pharmacy students. So yeah. some of them go into uh, pharmaceutical science. Yeah. Okay, that I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at least for the French system, you have to make this decision on your fourth year, and either you prepare yourself to to run a store, and then to do so, not only you need the scientific background that you acquired so far, but you also need some business. Uh, uh, competencies because uh, you will have to deal with uh, personal, you will have to deal with all of that legislation and so on. And the other part is going into the mode of actions of chemicals, uh, the preparation of it, the screening of the chemicals, uh, how to generate compounds, how to screen them, how does the uh, pharmaceutical company works, uh, what is the process for R&D and that kind of stuff. And this is right. I, I just gave a lecture, just gave a lecture recently. Completely. I just gave a lecture recently and uh, about uh, yeah it was kind of introduction to toxicology mm-hmm. uh, um, and regulation and uh, one of the things I was discussing was pharmacovigilance pharmacovigilance yeah. and that's 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 a hard thing yeah so all of these contraindications and and these um, yeah I mean there is basically um, uh, stories that 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 your patient well not your patient they're not their patients or their customers tell them and they have to check up. I mean, the GPs are the patients and they, they follow that up as well. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a tough business, this, this vigilance on, 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 on drugs. And, yeah. and we learn a lot by that actually. So post-marketing is, is actually the real world scenario. Yeah. Uh, 
where where people are taking stuff that that you don't I mean they, they probably you never expect them to take that combination of two drugs or three drugs yeah. or four drugs. Yeah. yeah but, uh, this is a strange part of also that uh, the pharmaceutical industry is already part, uh, at least in France, it's an essential, an essential part of this uh, pharmacovigilance. This is one of the responsibility of the pharmaceutical company uh, on the paper to really take serious every single case like that and to bring them back up and synthesize it and ideally identify what is going wrong. Is it a batch issue? Is it a combination? Is it uh, related to a, a wrong combination, a misuse? Uh, is it that they miss something during the clinical development of the, uh, of the compound? And all of that is really serious. I just looked up, just out of interest, this guy, uh, Hanneman. It, it, was, it was Samuel Hanneman. Uh, what what German, did uh, he, he, he lived from he lived from 1755 to 1843. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to read the whole Wikipedia. I mean, it would be ridiculous if we had this podcast ten years ago and we're reading wiki pages because they were just all misinformation. <laughs> but actually, wiki got wiki, wiki got pretty good over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it got better. Yeah, much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so. I mean, I, I, I was, I, I wanted to tell it. Oh, yeah, back to, back to the deviated question. Uh, so you partly addressed it. Uh, why is it so important to define every single branch of science as uh, one? Is it because of kind of uh, ego between scientists that every single one of us wants to have his share of the science no, that's a specialist I, of this new science that you created, basically. No, I, I, I think I think I think to a certain extent some of that exists uh, in, in in very related science. But but I think in general, I, I can't. I mean, I, I'm not chemically minded. I, I wasn't chemically trained, so I mean, there's no way I can do even even think to do organic inorganic chemistry or even teach it. To be honest. And I'm in a department of chemistry. I mean, what I what I teach is how uh, chemicals interact with biology, and that, that's that's where I'm good at. But and I compliment my colleagues in in in, in our department uh, with that because uh, they, I mean they're very good at because the, they know the chemistry they're developing, and they're very good at the pathways. I mean, they know all the even better than me of what what chemistry they're developing. But when it comes to the global thing about what cells to use and, and you know what, what you know how could you do it, um, I, I have interesting ideas for them. So that, that's that's a synergy. I think you have to specialize in something yeah. to synergize later, because if we're all global scientists, we wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, so, because uh, isn't it mainly because also of the amount of knowledge getting bigger and bigger that it's no longer possible to have a a knowledge of every discipline. But when you look back at these people, Paracelsus was uh, an astronomist, uh, an alchemist. Uh, he would be considered now the godfather of toxicology. He was a pharmacist. Uh, he was probably more than that. And uh, even- yeah, but I, think as well, days, I think as well in the past, Max, you, you didn't, you, there wasn't enough money in, in, in it either. So, I mean, I mean, generally education wise, 
So a lot of these people were quite rich independently, or they were, you know, or they were um, financed directly by by yeah. rich people, yeah. and they could afford a, a certain lifestyle. And and now it's changed because we see it as a as a as a kind of an economy, um, um, a branch of our economy, and uh, and also a branch of our uh, society that that will figure things out to improve society. Um, sooner or later, and uh, I think that's that changed it. And it, I mean, if you look at anything in, in even in, in human culture, it, it was necessary for for one tribe to be different and then come back together, so you could recombine the knowledge. And um, I think that's what's happened to science today. I mean, Max, we, me and you wouldn't have met if if you if you if you studied if you studied nephrology, we would never have met because. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they, they only pick one person who knows about kidneys in one project. Yeah. You were in but, because you did BBB. Yeah. No, but that's the idea behind it as well, is that, uh, and I assume you're the same, uh, I'm always learning more when I am confronted to people which are not directly in this, working in the same area and same field as myself. No, because true. And they, they will have a complete different knowledge and I will learn a lot from them while they will probably learn from me as well. And, and, but, and, then, and then, then you also know between me and your engagements, we have a lot in common too, because yeah, cells are yeah. cells. Yeah. So just for the audience, um, me and Max grow uh, uh, humans. Well, Max started off with bovine cells and uh, I actually started off with rat cells, but, but now, now we're mostly growing human cells. Max uh, specialized in a blood-brain barrier, which protects the entry of chemicals into the brain. And I, I specialize, uh, well, historically on the kidney, but also now into liver. And I want to get into cardiac and, and lung. Well, I did, did some lung before. But there's, they have a lot in common. But certain cell niches are, are distinctly different than other niches. And you have to be trained in that. And you have to know what's good, because uh, you need to know what to so, I think we, me and Max spent a lot of time developing how you would grow those cells to an adequate level where you could do decent research. And that's, that's tedious. Um, and we need to know what, I mean, I remember we had this thing with Open Talks, Max, like what, 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 what would you define what's yeah. good enough? Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's why specialization is important. Yeah. Yeah. On one end, I think it's important to specialize in one thing. On the other end, it's also crucial that we have this kind of uh, consortium where you bring people from different uh, expertise, different area, different disciplines, uh, with a certain ability to integrate together. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's separation and assimilation, and yeah. uh, I think that's that's how cultures developed, and yeah. and that's how science developed. Yeah. And then and then argue. And, and even yeah. fight. Yeah. I mean, uh, until until you develop a consensus. Yeah. So si science is all about consensus. Yeah. I mean, uh, individuals will think differently, and 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 it's right to think differently. It's it's absolutely perfectly fine to be biased as a as a as an individual scientist. But science itself is not biased. So a scientist is biased, but science itself isn't. And that's that's the beauty of science that we. we the minute we find something new, we'll throw off, um, or, or if we, even if we think we were wrong in the past, we, we go, oh, okay, that was wrong. And we'll admit to it and just go on. It wasn't that we did a bad experiment. We just had a wrong interpretation of that knowledge we had at that time. 
Um, it always changes. There's, there's no such thing as truth in science. It's just about the current consensus. But, but generally, it's, it's, it's rare that, that there was something fundamentally wrong. It, it, that, I, I don't know of many examples of that in the last couple of hundred years. That unless there was a charlatan involved, and it's happened, uh, like the, uh, I forget his name now, the guy who linked autism with vaccines. Uh, what was his name? I don't remember his name. I don't anyway. think we should advertise it anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway, no, no but there's genuinely char charlatans involved that, that want to make money. But it, it, they, took a, they, it took almost 20 years to finally uh, somehow make it accepted that it was not the case. Yeah, the because it was, was published, yeah. it was published in The Lancet, I mean, yeah. one of the highest yeah. journals in the world, yeah. and, and uh, we should trust our journals. But also, yeah. you should look at the retractions, too, because, I mean, if something becomes fraudulent, it's retracted yeah. quickly. Um, uh, I mean, this exact same topic was back uh, two months ago when they started vaccinating in France. Uh, people Jesus. rise against the uh, scare of the vaccine, and one of the arguments for scaring people with vaccine was that uh, vaccination uh, caused Parkinson. Oh, and it's autism. It very likely, yeah, sorry, uh, autism. But it doesn't cause. By the way, it doesn't cause either. <laughs> as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! It doesn't cause either. The uh, it was I was Andrew Wakefield. Okay. Wakefield. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't cause either. So the the the, the argument against science is that because it, we have no proof for something means it could be possible. That's bullshit. Yeah. A, a lack of proof is a lack of evidence, which means it's unlikely that it that it happens. Because scientists always try and find proof. So if there's any connection, you you can be guaranteed to be hundreds of scientists. Uh, just trying to find the connection. And if they can't find it, it means it doesn't exist. Let's not get into God, but uh, you can do that experiment with God. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. Anyway. So non-scientific non people think uh, a, a lack of evidence means that there's a possibility. Yeah. Scientists, scientists are the opposite. A lack of evidence means it's unlikely. Yeah. But that's if why it's, been it's sometime a dead end to discuss with some people. Because uh, you will, it's not that you fell short of arguments, it's that you cannot understand as a scientist their arguments, because their argument is because you uh, can't prove it. It, it can't it's prove possible. Yeah. 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 And Max, I think when, when you reach. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, are you controlling the recording or me? I forget. Uh, I can. Stop it! Or pull. Yeah. So, uh, so after our, after our buyer break, let's recap. What have we discussed? Uh, that's <laughs> we are making little progress regarding the schedule and the program. But anyway, <laughs> we come uh, with some important things for lay audience. First uh, was homeopathy is a lot of bullshit or complete bullshit. <laughs> no, uh, complete that, bullshit. Was, <laughs> that was one point to be made. Uh, second point was uh, it's not because, um, yeah, basically it should be phrased correctly. Uh, correlation is no causation. Uh, when, did we, when did we mention that? That's, yeah, that's an important point. That's somehow the link between uh, Parkinson and vaccine. And because 
No, there, there, there was no correlation either, Max, just to correct the record. There was no correlation. Uh, Wake, Wakefield brought, made all that up. He, he generated data. It wasn't true. None of it was true. There was, not, there was no correlation either. It was just bullshit, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah but no, I mean, I mean, just, no, it can just, be said that correlation just, just, is no causation. No, but just no, but there was no correlation either. So, yeah. so the, no, no, but I agree with that case. It doesn't mean that uh, the statement is not true. Uh, well, let's, let's actually spend a few minutes talking about the AstraZeneca virus, right? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I understand that it, it's, it's been... Yeah, it's not AstraZeneca virus, but AstraZeneca virus. Oh, sorry, vaccine, vaccine, I keep yeah. making that mistake. But, but look, it's really, it's, it's really a pity all of this happened. Um, but I, th I hope the general population realizes that if, if, a, if there's even a suspicion of something, our healthcare systems will pause, check, and, 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 then, and then continue. So I know we've had a couple of weeks now of this, um, and it seems like the EU is, 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 yeah, it looks like a war of words between the EU and Britain. And I know there's reasons for that as well, but you, you have to remember that, that, that regulation is complicated, uh, but it's not as complicated as we think. So the EMA had originally approved it, and then when there was suspicion of blood clots, They, they stopped and they checked the dossiers because it was a whole load of new data and it, it takes a few days to go through all that. In fact, I thought they were very quick. And then the, the EMA said, no, we've looked at it. There's, there's still no problem. Because what they saw was the, the, the incidence of blood clots, I mean, these are the peripheral blood clots, were, were even lower or the same as in the, in the, in the regular, uh, in the non-vaccinated people. Uh, so th that's, that's no correlation. Uh, at all, and I know there's a brain one as well, and they I think they've come up and they they have no proof of that either. But uh, I think that has to go a little bit. But anyway, they declared that the benefit definitely outweighs the risk. Risk because if you get COVID, you can get all sorts of blood clots and and and, and die of the thing. So um, um, and I and I know people were disappointed that the EU didn't just do it. Uh, unilaterally, but that's not the way the system works. The EMA uh, makes an observation and, and declares something, and then every single regulatory uh, unit, which is the individual countries, can accept that or deny that and, and, and delay it longer. But it looks like that happened very quickly within one week, and everybody's back uh, vaccinating with the AstraZeneca virus, and no one person should be worried about it. It's been checked. Max. So you, you probably missed that, but uh, the French uh, Health Authority uh, stopped it uh, below the age of 55. Oh, I heard that. I forgot about the French. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, of a presumption of potentially something uh, which would then challenge the, benefits, uh, the benefit risk for people below that age, because for those uh, class of age, uh, the risk of COVID is going down. But yeah, the but problem, is it, is the problem is the general benefit. Uh, how do you wage that? Well, let's so, not get any, any legal problems, Max. Um, so you, you, you just said what, what happened, right? So you didn't give any opinion there. And is it possible that the, the French government have reserves of a different vaccine for over 50s? No, Because I don't think so. We were very uh, dependent on that one. 
Well, in my opinion, but we are so so slow currently at vaccinating people that anyway it will take already a few months before we can really uh, start vaccinating those people below 55. Uh, okay, so well, that's by that time thing. we might have uh, better data first and we might also have uh, other possibilities. Yeah, I, I, look, it's, it's like a camera. The best camera you have is the one in your hand. And the best vaccine you have is the one your GP will inject you. So I, I really play with people. Don't decide which vaccine you want. Just give the one, take the one you're given. Yeah. They're all better than nothing. I mean, by a factor of some thousands better than yeah. that. I, um, I, got, I got phone call from my uh, parents-in-law, from my own parents and from my auntie uh, about this exact that. Uh, I'm supposed to get vaccinated tomorrow. Uh, should I take it if it's AstraZeneca? And you said yes, I hope. I said yes, yes. Yeah, of course. I said, yeah, uh, from what I can see so far, at that time, the yeah. EMA hasn't released any comments, but the numbers were already there. I mean, uh, millions The numbers people, were ridiculous. Five minutes vaccinated, 30 cases. Which yeah, was lower the, than the general uh, population. Population. Uh, Which is just statistics, by the way. Yeah. Because that, that can happen. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not possible the AstraZeneca mm -hmm. virus uh, or vaccine uh, protects against clots. It's yeah. just, that's just a statistical binning. Um, yeah. But basically, it proves that it's not, it's definitely not causing more incidences. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, a, there's a risk of everything. I mean, I mean, <coughs> we, we, you'd, you'd prefer not to be injected with, with something. I mean, of course, but there's a virus out there that uh, has already killed uh, nearly uh, 3 million people. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we're all sitting at home. And as soon as this is over, the better. So let's everybody get vaccinated, whatever fucking vaccine is available. It's a pity because I, I, I really like the idea of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine was made to be a kind of a, you know, a, um, more rudimentary one that, that was non-for-profit and, and that could go to Africa and stuff like that. And it's just a pity. I think this is just noise though, Max. I think that the problem is every country is worried that we don't have enough and that everybody's just frustrated now. And that's oh. all. Yeah. And I'm sure AstraZeneca is, are doing their best to increase their production. Yeah. And I know I know they are. I'm, 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 well, I don't know anybody there, but uh, currently, but but I guess everybody's just doing their best, and everybody's a bit frustrated, and we're all a bit weary now after a year of this shit. Yeah. Oh, I, anyway, back to toxicology. Yeah, because probably your podcast is not the place for politics, but I have some issue with. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now. <laughs> No politics. <laughs> because that's a different kind of podcast. There's enough people podcasting about politics. Yeah. Anyway. As so, your boy yeah. said, science. Yeah. Science is the key. Yeah. But yeah, biology and toxicology. Uh, is it two sides of the same coin? Well, if you consider that... I mean, I'd like to go into this in more depth, but I don't agree. We don't have enough time. But 
I mean, the concept is, and I, I would actually like to do a podcast on that alone. The con- it's not a concept, it's a fact that um, chemistry managed to initiate life. And it was, a, it, it's like, a, so th- this idea that, that, that everything will eventually um, go into a simplest form. And in, in, on this earth, that's basically fats, carbohydrates, um, and water, carbon dioxide, and, ni- and nitrogen. nucleic acid. No, but, but what happened then is that, that life started to change that, that idea. So this idea is called entropy, or, or I mean, it exists. I mean, it, we know it exists, but but uh, the opposite of that became life to make things more complex. Uh, catabolism, um, uh, DNA, RNA, protein, uh, and lipid membranes to protect the the in, in, intercellular environment, or I mean, you call it a cell because a cell is just simply a, um, an, a, a individual. An individual unit, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it just protected itself from the outside world, not, not fully, but it could it could interact with the outside world on its own terms. Um, and then eventually, um, what happened was, and it, it, you know, the, the 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 whole universe is is. I mean, it sounds a lot, but it's okay, fifteen billion years, but the Earth is about five billion, and life has been around for three and a half billion, so it's crazy quick. If you think about it on those terms, um, do, is there life on other planets? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But we only know about life on this planet, and and that's so intricate and so crazy, complicated. I mean, even as a, if I call myself a biologist, I, I mean, even the stuff we teach, we're teaching a little bit with tongue and cheek, because we go, yeah, well, that's what we think. Um, a cell, any single cell, is so complicated. It's like a planet. Um, uh, no, it's even more complicated than a planet because it's self-regulates. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, when you, I don't I don't know how many cells in a human body, but it's billions. And and the unfortunate fact is, uh, there's another four or five billion that are not your own. Uh, and they're not parasites. They yeah. they are actually symbiotic organisms. So this idea that there's a warfare between eukaryotes and prokaryotes is not true. It's a pure symbiosis. I mean, this idea of Gaia, I like that that uh, the whole planet is just one system. Okay. And I know, I know. I mean, the Celts fought the the Germans, and the Germans fought the Romans, all this kind of stuff. But it was all fighting for life. And so human culture was was a life fight. And um, I, I like I like this concept that that. We have, and of course, it's pathogenic. Uh, um, so, if you had a yeast infection, um, or or a bacteria in your eye, or something like that, or actually, you know, you get a cold or whatever. Yeah, okay, these these are pathogenic ones, but eventually, there's some symbiosis evolves, or or, or the host dies, uh, and if the host dies, the the pathogen dies eventually. That's why very, very virulent bacteria, uh, viruses don't survive well because if they kill everything they touch, that's why that's why COVID is a nasty thing because it, it I mean, it, it killed a lot of people, but not quickly, and uh, yeah. So I like this idea of life, and 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 then it, it actually doesn't kill that many, which is why it spread. 
that much. Yeah, it kills just the marginal marginal number. Yeah, yeah, it's it's which makes it evenly spread. Which makes it yeah, make, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it was similar with the Spanish flu. So, I mean, I think I I don't know. Probably a billion people have been affected by this thing so far, yeah. and there's three million people approximately dead. Yeah. So the death the death rate is kind of low. Um. But it's still horrific. I mean, yeah. and and and, and the, no, the societal. I mean, if you compare that to things like Ebola, uh, it's definitely much, much more deadly. But because of that, uh, because it kills people rapidly, then it doesn't spread that much or as yeah, much. This is a thing called incidence and prevalence, uh, yeah. uh, severity and prevalence. Yeah. So if if it's very severe, it's it's not very prevalent. Yeah. It, it, it's very. Um, if it's not very severe, it's much more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, for for a virus, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I know we didn't even argue the point. But I think toxicology is a fundamental part of biology. <laughs> so we didn't even I, touch. I, I, can, I can even argue that this is the exact opposite of biology. Uh, etymology speaking, biology is the science of life, and toxicology, if we bring it back to the roots is somehow the science of poison and poison is the thing that kills life. So indeed that's the exact uh, opposite of one another. One is a yeah, science of it, life, the other one is a science of what is killing life. Yeah, but if you know what if you know what's bad for life, does that not make you know what's healthy? That's what I mean. Yeah. Because how else would you know unless you, you, you have what's bad? I mean, we're all worried now about these. I mean, before COVID, we were worried about aging populations and stuff. And that's why some of the nasty people said that COVID ripped through our populations, because then we have younger population. I mean, fuck you. And actually, no, nobody took this too long. I mean, it, it, it persisted for about six months. But uh, that's bullshit. Um, I mean, people who lived to 80 or 90 deserve to live in it as long as they can live. I mean, if they can live in our five, ten years, they they deserve it. I mean, I mean, you, you know how long a year can be. It, it's it's and you can have happier, good times. But these people deserve. I mean, they put in the effort for the last while. So, I mean, the reason we we exist is because of them. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, we we're not just protecting them, we're protecting the whole society basically, and. Uh, and protecting elderly is an investment on your future because you will one day become one of them. Hopefully. Yeah, well, it's not, well, yeah, it's not just that. It's, it's, no, there's no, no place it, for it. It is in the sense that uh, I think it's a sign of evolution of a culture if you, the way you treat your uh, elderly, let's say. No, I agree with you, but I, I, think, I think originally back, if you go back, 20,000 years or 30,000 years ago, they they were white. The, the elderly were the ones who told everybody everything, so they were revered. And we lost we lost that somehow. I mean, I know you didn't, Max, or I didn't, but I think society lost that. I mean, people are quick to judge, oh, oh, he's old. But fuck, yeah, so listen to him. I mean, I, I guess, I guess the, the world wars and stuff like that didn't help, you know, with fascism and stuff like that. But, but, but still, it's about if you, if you 
bring it all back to life and preservation of life. It's, it's all about, we need to learn. And young people are too quick to think they know everything, but they know fucking nothing. I, me included. I'm not, I'm, I know I'm not young anymore, but I'm relatively young. You're, much younger, you're a much younger man than me, Max. <laughs> <laughs> At least a few years. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think the older you get, you realize the less you know. And, 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 and there's much, much more to know. Yeah. And young people, it's natural, and I don't blame yeah, any young people. I think that's actually the point in listening to people older than yourself. That's what it's I mean. Not that yeah. they, it's not that they know more, it's that they better identify that, uh, how little we know. Somehow. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, because we, we, we've never solved anything, really. I mean, we were very good at killing each other. Uh, hopefully that's going to stop at yeah. some stage. Um, we're very good at pointing at uh, you're different to me, so you shouldn't live in my area or yeah. whatever. Um, uh, I hope we are getting better at that as well. Yeah, I, ho I hope so too. But I think this is a testimony, Max. I mean, the, the, the yeah, we, we used to be, or at least, of course, it's uh, depending on which culture or society you live in, but we used to be pretty good at uh, also making a lot of difference between gender and we seems to progressively evolve on that respect. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, th I think until the 1940s in, in, in England and Ireland, uh, a woman couldn't open a bank account. Yeah. She needed the permission yeah. from her husband. So if you, if you weren't married, you, were based, you needed an uncle yeah. or something like that. Yeah. To open a fucking bank account. I mean, yeah. how ridiculous is that? Yeah. Make, can you imagine suggesting that to your wife today that you, you would need to look at her bank account? My, my son was just, uh, I was helping him uh, studying his history course about the uh, election of the first uh, French president, which was the first one to be elected at the, how do you call it, uh, universal vote. Does it work in English? Well, is that is that when everybody can vote? Is it? Yeah, we we say yeah. universal. Yeah, and that was called the masculine universal vote, meaning that that was universal, only but only men can vote. Which today would, yeah, and anyway, uh, which makes absolutely no sense if something like half of the population can actually not vote because they are not entitled to but you still call it universal, like it would apply to everyone. And that would exclude no, half of the population. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the, that, that's your mothers and sisters and daughters. Yeah. And it's crazy, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, I think Ireland is still a very uh, uh, matriarchal society. No, matriarchal society. Oh, yeah. it, it wasn't politically, but, but, it, but yeah. it was at home. And uh, you know, you looked up to your mom and your, your grandmother and uh, grandmothers, and they, they were the ones who drove the families. I, I don't know if that was the same in France. Uh, also, you're a bit younger than me, but I, I mean, that could have been a Celtic thing because I, I understood the Irish Celts were very matriarchal. Um, um, but the new kind of um, political systems we develop in societies completely denied their voice. I mean, like completely. And uh, it's a disgrace. 
uh, and let's hope we learn from these things. Well, I think we have. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that would be another podcast, I guess, Max. So, yeah, let's close this episode. Thanks for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed it. And put on the jingle. Ça part de batterie parce que j'ai des grands amis.